Hey everyone, it's Ryan with the Blockchain Podcast, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about how blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies and crypto assets are really disrupting finance and how they're going to continue to do so, and I think ultimately revolutionize how finance is done in the future. And it's it's really fitting because Bitcoin kind of came out of the financial crisis. That's actually what spurred this and allowed people to uh, kind of catch on or at least motivated them psychologically. Uh, it was around banking. It was actually this uh, this thought that, you know, can't we be our own banks? Can we disrupt the financial system? Can we have sound money? And that's actually where it kind of started uh, way back in 2009. There weren't very many people using it. The technology was, you know, just developing. There were a lot of ideas. There were a lot of hopes and dreams. And now fast forward to today, and it's over $12,000 a coin as I speak, uh, over a $200 billion market cap. Unless you're living under a rock, you've probably heard of Bitcoin. And so it's a very, very different world in not too long of a time. But I think going forward, with this exposure and with more and more people participating and really the utility and what it's actually enabling, I think that the world will be very, very different going forward. So let me kind of explain one of the three kind of ways that it's transforming finance. And I'll start with the one that I think uh, is most familiar, which is banking. So let's kind of take this idea of banking. You probably have a Chase uh, bank account or Wells Fargo or US Bank or some other bank. There's probably thousands of banks, right? So you have this bank account and you go, you set it up and uh, you deposit some money and that money could be transferred from another account or it can be deposited with cash or written, you know, a check can be deposited or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, it's really sitting in your account as kind of this digital currency, uh, whether it's euros, dollars, pounds, uh, yen, whatever the case may be. Today, it exists without any gold backing or any metallic backing just by uh, the kind of the full faith of the government that uh, is issuing it. And so it's really just a digital currency at this point. Uh, in years past, it was more than that, but not anymore. It's a fiat currency. So with Bitcoin, you have this digital currency that, you know, it's it's uh, you can have a wallet which is akin to a bank account and it displays how many Bitcoin you have or Litecoin or Ethereum or Ether. And it just kind of sits there. And unless someone has your uh, 12 word seed or your password, they can't access it. It can't go anywhere. You hold the private keys, you hold the money. And it's as simple as that. Just like it, with the bank account, the, the bank uh, holds the keys, if you will, or holds the uh, funds and no one can access it unless it's authorized to be at the bank or otherwise and it can be authorized by you or someone can pull money out or the u.s government or other government can go and garnish your wages all sorts of things can happen or someone can steal your debit card and charge against it uh if they have your pin um but for bitcoin you know you have to actually put in your password you actually have to unlock your wallet depending on what kind of wallet you're using and you have to actually send it to a particular address so there's not really this pull aspect and there's not really any third party in between you so with banking as we see it today what other things do you do other than store your money well you can send money to someone right you could do an ach transfer or a wire transfer ach is quite slow but it's free it could take several days uh, whereas wire is very fast but expensive with bitcoin you can send or and again litecoin or any other cryptocurrency you can send to anyone on this planet you know, near instantly within seconds or within minutes, they'll get it and it'll be done. It's an ir irreversible process. It goes one way. You sent $100 to someone in China or someone in Zimbabwe or wherever else. You can do that right now by pulling out your uh, cell phone and just putting in their address and then hitting send. 
You can also receive by sending someone your address, whatever that uh, number is, or you can send them a QR code and they can scan that. And likewise, someone from anywhere on this planet can send you money and you'll get paid within seconds or minutes. And so that Bitcoin has that functionality. Banks have that functionality with pros and cons with each of those. And then what else does a bank do for you? You're also able to write checks. Um, you're also able to get a debit card. And with that debit card, you can go into a store, you can swipe that, and then it will deduct it from your bank account. With Bitcoin, uh, there are cards that are out that are being developed and they're coming out more and more so that you will be able to more and more be able to just use a card. But really, I think what's going to happen uh, more so is it's going to be like the Starbucks app or any other app where you just pull out your phone or even Apple Pay for that matter. You pull out your phone, um, you pay right there with your cell phone and Bitcoin. You can do that now. The issue right now is, is that there's not a ton of people accepting Bitcoin as a payment method. But if that increases, then the utility becomes more and more and more and more people use it. The network gets larger larger and larger, more transactions occur. I believe the value goes up for a while until it stabilizes at some sort of point and it becomes, you know, this kind of global digital currency. But the very interesting thing with the banking analogy is why do you need a bank anymore? You know, for 99% of what you use a bank for, you know, takeout, lending and some of the other things, just a basic bank account. Uh, why not just have a mobile wallet with your funds on there? You completely control it. Uh, you know what's there. Uh, you, you know that uh, it's only going somewhere if someone if you send it to someone, and you could receive uh, payment as well just as easily by giving out your address and people can pay you and it shows up in your uh, mobile wallet. And so there's not actually a good reason anymore to use a traditional bank versus a mobile wallet other than this third party uh, security of not losing your funds, if you will. So if you lose your uh, private keys or you lose your seed for your mobile wallet and you forget your password, uh, that money's not coming back. It's gone. Like if you don't keep that and write that down and keep it in a safe place and remember your password, you're not ever going to get it back. But if you remember your password, no one can ever take it from you. And so that's kind of this duality with banking with uh, crypto is that you have this really infinite financial freedom, if you will, but also this responsibility to be good stewards of your money. An analogy would be kind of keeping your cash safe or keeping your gold safe or keeping whatever safe is your responsibility, but also the measures aren't onerous if you just, like I said, put down your uh, your seed, uh, your 12-word seed in a secret place, you put it in a safety deposit box at a bank. Hey, there's a use for a bank. But there's not really that much difference um, between banking with crypto and banking at a traditional bank for 99% of what most people do. So I think as the future goes on, you have more of these millennials, you have people who have grown up with the internet, you have people who have grown up with mobile payments and things of that nature. And I think you move more and more towards this, you know, this uh, unbanked sort of world. And then you also have to look at places, you know, in underdeveloped world, underdeveloped places where banking doesn't exist. You know, there are plenty of places in Africa, there are plenty many paces in Asia where banking just quite literally doesn't exist. And so uh, with just a mobile phone, you have a bank now and lots of people have mobile phones, even in the poorest of places, they have mobile phones. And so now they can have this financial infrastructure and this banking by just having a phone. So it's actually very, very disruptive to banking um, overall. And I think that's, uh, you know, could potentially cause some issues with stability of currencies and some other things in the future. But overall, that's an idea that I think people are starting to catch on to, but also something that is fundamental to the technology. It's built into it. So it stores value. It allows you to transact. It's kind of this mobile bank, if you will. It's this personal bank. It's this individual bank. And with different privacy coins, it's a completely private bank. So it's an interesting disruption to the banking infrastructure, if you will. 
at least with respect to consumer products where, you know, if you're looking at banking for business, you may be looking at loans or some other things. But again, you can argue that the loans and smart contracts can be used um, to uh, give out loans to actually better monitor credit history and things of that nature. I won't talk about that here, but say for Ethereum or other smart contracts, you could actually uh, argue that a better loan system can be uh, created. Now, the other big disruptive area that I see is uh, fundraising. And we've seen that with ICOs and going public, basically. So an ICO is initial coin offering. So if I have a project, um, assuming that the SEC rules and all these other things in different countries are not non-existent, so assume that there's no regulation. I'm not saying that no regulation is good, but assume that there's no regulation. It's, it's actually very easy now to essentially go public. So if I have a token or I have a coin, I can launch it with Ethereum or uh, other smart contract providers, and I can sell these tokens and receive, say, Ethereum in return and they automatically issues these tokens to the individual so you're basically buying into a company or buying into an asset by simply sending money to an address and then you automatically get these tokens out and this has been the big ICO craze in 2017 it's kind of died down a bit which I think is good it was a little feverish at one point but just about anywhere in the world well I should say anywhere in the world if you have Ethereum or you have some other uh, currency you can send it um, to a smart contract and then that smart contract will issue you assets that are on your blockchain in your wallet that no one can take or no one can move and that you have proof of ownership and so it's really transformed fundraising in this uh, crypto space because now these projects can raise lots of money very fast from anywhere in the world so take for example Tezos or EOS or whoever else who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for Tezos specifically within a matter of weeks 250 million dollars uh, EOS which has an ongoing ICO still I think they've raised on the order of uh, hundreds of millions as well and that's still ongoing and someone can just again send ether to an address and then they get the tokens back it's in their wallet they have proof of ownership and there are plenty of other tokens now be careful of these token sales too because some of them are scams some of them are poor projects and the SEC has kind of come in uh, to regulate them a bit more at least uh, uh, to kind of put their foot down a little bit or show that they're watching and making sure that these things don't get out of hand because there are actually there is actually paperwork you're supposed to file and accredited investor requirements and all of these things. But all that said, uh, a typical IPO is a very onerous, long process. Um, and even to raise 200 million plus, you could IPO on something like that. It'd be a relatively small IPO, but you could. And that's a very expensive and very onerous process. Whereas with like Tezos or these others, with the ICO, which is essentially an IPO because you're kind of going public, you can trade the tokens immediately, essentially. Uh, not so with the Tezos, but with other ones that, that are on the Ethereum chain, you can actually do that uh, uh, quite quickly. And then they're liquid, they're transferable, they're on exchanges, and the cost of that couldn't have been more than thousands, if not low tens of thousands of dollars to kind of set everything up and allow for that. But now there's even services that allow you to do that right away. So it's a very, very low barrier to entry where you know a typical ICO or IPO can cost tens of millions of dollars or more. Um, an ICO can cost thousands to low 10,000 bucks. I mean, if you could figure it out technically, you could do it for a, you know, 
damn near close to free. Um, so that's a big, big thing that has come out of this. Um, so between banking and fundraising, and I think what's coming too is lending and loaning. That's a very highly regulated area. So I think there's going to be some things to work through there. But that's also coming to the blockchain world where, like I said, if you have a smart contract, you can send in something uh, like uh, uh, some collateral, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, or it can be no collateral and you can put in your personal information and someone can loan against your credit score or whatever the case may be but your payment can be tracked you could send ethereum to the smart contract so that the lender knows that it's being paid it can see that it's being paid there's a record that it's being paid and people can see if it's not being paid on time and that could hurt your credit score or that could be a credit scoring mechanism someone could come up with that's based on blockchain technology and so where i kind of see this this big transformation happening is how people bank and again uh, in the U.S., it's not the only place, right? There's lots of places in the developing world where this may be the de facto banking, you know, on their mobile phone. And for a lot of them, it kind of is with cellular minutes. They're traded back and forth. They're kind of banked. And, uh, you know, this blockchain technology and cryptocurrency is, a, is another way to do that, but with the ac access to the entire world for purchasing or uh, bartering or trading or whatever the case may be. So, Banking is a big disruptive area, and then I would also say fundraising, and I think lending is coming as well. So when you're thinking of Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or smart contracts, think of these this this disruption that it can have, and ideas around it that it can you know uh, change how things are done. And uh, uh, it's not just about speculation and buying and holding and, and then selling. And I also encourage you know listeners to actually try and transact and use Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies for payments. You know if you have a service that you offer or something that you sell accepting bitcoin as payment helps the network helps build the value actually of the network and helps get people kind of accustomed to this sort of uh, new technology so with that i'll kind of close out this uh, podcast if uh, if you don't know yet uh, you can check out blackchain.co that's where podcasts and articles are posted i'll be putting more up as time goes on and if you want to stay up to date sign up to the newsletter and i will shoot those off typically once a month or so so hope to see you next time and that's all for now